0: What is going on guys? Welcome to episode six of LTK Let's Talk Knicks podcast. I'm one of your hosts Jacob along with as always uh, the great Brandon. How are you doing today man?
1: It's been a hectic weekend. It's been a very interesting weekend and no better way to cap off a great and interesting weekend than talking some Knicks basketball. I mean what could be better?
0: Let's do it. Let's do it. Where do you want to start today? So I I think there's no better place to start
1: than the, uh, the rumor mill because I have some thoughts on it, and I know for a fact we talked a little bit before this. You definitely have some thoughts on this as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, let's we're, let's just start with Chris Paul. I mean, so Chris Paul gets waived, and then you know, yesterday Frank Vogel says comes out and says that he was not in fact waived. Uh, you had a really good comparison when we were off the air talking about how this feels very Dalvin Cook. Uh, I don't want to step on your toes with that. So, you know, why don't you take that comparison? Because I thought it was an excellent one. So, you know, it's very interesting
1: because if you're new to sports, you don't really pick up on this stuff because, you know, you're just assuming, okay, like tweets or all this. But, you know, your, your biggest insider, and I'm taking Adam Schefter as an example here. When something is tweeted out, you always have to consider where that's coming from. And how the information is being used. That's just in general. That's there's always a reason that a player side or an agent side or a team side is leaking something. You take an example of Dalvin Cook where it's leaked that the Vikings are releasing him. You then have a tweet, not immediately after, but a few minutes after saying he hasn't been officially released yet. Minnesota is still looking for a trade. That first bit of information. It's not necessarily, oh, these two scoopers are battling for the same story. It is in a sense, but it's also the Vikings had that leak by someone to try to generate that last minute trade interest. Because they if you're releasing that information, you know the guy's being cut anyway. And as a result, they did that as a last ditch effort to try to get value. It didn't happen. Cook got released. How does this relate to Chris Paul? It's the same idea here. It's leaked that Chris Paul is getting cut. And then not directly after, but I'd say probably, what, 10 minutes after, you got the news Chris Paul hasn't been officially released yet. He still could be released, but he hasn't been officially released yet. Why does that happen? It's because the Suns are trying to not lose Chris Paul for nothing. They're trying to get something in return for him. Trying to get a team to bite on just giving up value. Not a lot of value, but some value. To be teams that may be rumored in him to the free agent market to jump the line, so to say. So I'm not surprised that the report was put out there, but this is typical. This is something you see all the time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree. I I wonder if they have some sort of plan because they have to rebuild the bench, and I'm not going to get totally into the Phoenix of it all, but they do have to rebuild that bench a little bit, and I wonder if Chris Paul's money – and attaching that money to some sort of trade where they can get back, you know, if they have to deal some stuff with Chris Paul to get uh, an asset or two back that they can fill out their their team with, uh, I think is a move that they could go. But we have to talk about what Chris Paul could potentially look like in New York, because as Woj said, and like you said, you know, where we get information is it's highly valuable. If Woj says something, if Winhorse says something, you know, that's stuff that you have to be taking seriously. And Woj listed the Knicks as a potential suitor for Chris Paul, you know, if he gets waived, when he gets waived. So I guess, you know, and I'll kick it back to you with my first question, Where you know, how do you think Chris would fit, Chris Paul would fit with the Knicks? Like, he'd obviously have to come off the bench in a role that he's never done before. Um, I have my own concerns about how it would fluctuate the minutes of Emmanuel quickly to add a, a second veteran point guard that would have to get legitimate rotation minutes um, if you were to to make a move like that. I I want them to continue to use Emmanuel quickly as the spot starter of Brunson is isn't playing and as that sixth man um, at the point guard position because I thought he was great last year. And Chris would definitely – play a major factor in that role for Emmanuel quickly. So that's where my concerns lie. But I'll just ask you, like, where do you think, what do you think Chris Paul's fit would be with with the Knicks moving forward?
1: We're not even going to take into, into consideration the fact that he's pushing 40 years old. We're not going to take into consideration that he has been injured the past few years and he has not been able to stand on the court consistently, on top of the fact that his production has decreased, not drastically, but year over year. My main, excuse me, my main issue is that this would be such a Thibodeau move. And we talked about Thibodeau last episode. We talked about, oh, you know, yes, we want, he's staying, but what point does it reach where he wears out his welcome? In my opinion, and I could be wrong, this is step one towards wearing out that welcome. Because guess what? You tried the Derrick Rose experiment. You tried it. Again, you brought him back after the season he had. It didn't work. Derrick Rose barely played down the stretch this year. He didn't even see the court in the playoffs. You tried it to a lesser extent with with uh, Evan Fournier as well. So by bringing in Chris Hall, number one, it'd be such a Thibodeau move because you're not admitting a mistake. You're just going a different direction but a different version of what you already tried. You're taking away minutes from quickly, who despite struggles down the stretch a little bit and struggles in the postseason, was a major factor of why the Knicks were the team that they were this season. You're then screwing up the guard rotation. How does Josh Hart fit into this? Are you comfortable with Chris Paul next to Jalen Brunson? And if not, are you comfortable with Chris Paul leading that second unit? How does Chris Paul fit with Julius Randle? How does he fit with R.J. Barrett? How does he fit with the rest of this roster? I personally don't see it working that well, at least this specific version of Chris Paul. We're not talking about Hall of Fame level Chris Paul because that's a guy you want on your team no matter what the situation is. But this, this is different. Because this is a Chris Paul, I'd say, close to the end of the road. And I really, really don't see how that's helping the Knicks right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, your point to to the injury concerns is valid. He only played 59 games last year. You know, he was 13-8 and eight last season. But some of the field goal percentage numbers and some of the advanced stuff fell way off. Um, and they were a team that, you know, a year and a half ago, a lot of people thought were going to win the title. And honestly, still had a shot to win one this year. And they were... They were worse when Chris Paul was on the floor in the playoffs against the Denver Nuggets. It's just the fact. But on the flip side of it, there's a part of me that thinks, and I'm, I'm with you for the most part on it. And, and I'm with you that I, I'm not in favor of Chris Paul coming here, but I would say that there were a lot of lineups last year where it was like the second unit and RJ Barrett for a, a stretch of games. And when it comes to that, and the lack of like a true playmaker and an organizer on that on the offensive end of the floor for that second unit um, when it's like you know Barrett and Grimes and OB, because they've had lineups where RJ is in there is like the guy that's supposed to carry that offense in the in the second unit but that's never really been you know it, it, he's not that type of a playmaker not yet anyway. So having a Chris Paul to organize the offense is something that intrigues me, but I'm with you on, I wouldn't want it affecting Emmanuel Quickly's minutes. I wouldn't want it affecting Grimes's minutes or Josh Hart's minutes. Um, I think Josh Hart, as pivotal as he was down the stretch in the playoffs this year, I actually think he's going to be even more pivotal next year when he's had an offseason with his team and when Tibbs like, has his rotation set from opening night And I even think it's to the point where Josh Hart potentially finding his way into the starting lineup, whether it's replacing Grimes, who Tibbs has had his ups and downs about trusting, plays him 48 minutes in one playoff game, but yet struggles to put him back in the starting lineup over Josh Hart until he absolutely has to in the playoffs. So somebody that Tibbs has had his ups and downs with in terms of his minutes giving, I wonder, you know, is Chris Paul not that – He's the same player. He's but is Chris Paul his new Alec Burks? Where he, this guy's just somebody that's just going to get in the way of the development of some of the players, and, and that's that's my biggest concern with with Chris Paul. It's not so much what he isn't anymore because the uh, drop off is obvious, but it's what he could potentially be with with Tibbs, which is just like, yeah, this is my guy. You know, another. Veteran, I trust him when all the evidence may point to the contrary. Tibbs will continue to roll with that guy, and I don't know if you want that problem.
1: It cost the Knicks games in 2021. We saw it happen. We, we saw this story before. And I'll be honest with you, this stage of Chris Paul, this version of Chris Paul, I'd rather trade an end-of-the-bench guy like a Deuce McBride and maybe like a future second to go, maybe get a draft pick and pick a second-unit-type player that is just a facilitator. Don't pay the free agent money. Pay a cheap contract and find someone in the draft that can do the same thing. Like, that's that's where my thinking is. I'd rather spend the money, I'd rather spend the capital on someone that's going to be here for more than a season or more than, like, a season and a half and actually have the potential to develop into something. Chris Paul is what Chris Paul is right now. He's he's at the end of his career, most likely. He's not getting any better, and it can really only get worse. So I'm just, I'm not going to lie, I'm completely not on board right now. I could be swayed in the future, and that's the thing with th- these types of rumors and these types of potential acquisitions. The information and the way the team is built over an offseason can change you know, how you think and how you think a guy is going to fit into a roster. Right now, Chris Paul does not fit this roster whatsoever for the Knicks, and I don't want him on the team. Uh,
0: I think that was very well said, and I I don't disagree, and I'm not sure if there's anything I can really add. So we're going to continue with – we've been doing this throughout the last couple of episodes. Um, First of all, though, we do want to give a very special shout-out to something that's happening um, with LTK Let's Talk Knicks this week. Uh, On Monday night at 7 o'clock, I think, right? 7 o'clock?
1: I think it's 6 o'clock.
0: 6 o'clock. My apologies. 6 o'clock. We are having the great, the one and only Charles Oakley on uh, live Twitter space with us. Please feel free. Please come, you know, ask him questions, participate. This is going to be amazing. I I know I'm super excited for it. Um, And I know Brandon and everybody here at LTK is very excited for him and uh, for it, and who knows, maybe uh, maybe we'll get Charles on here on here one day. Talk a little '90s Knicks, talk some other stuff. Uh, he'd be great to have Charles Oakley. This is an open invite. Anytime you want to come on the podcast, uh, we we'll be happy to have you. But we'll, we'll take can't, that can't, we'll tra- can't can't hurt the dream, right? Yeah, no, can't <laughs> hurt the dream. So we'll take that. We'll and we'll transition into another. Uh, I'll say polarizing power forward that plays for the New York Knicks. We've done Tibbs, we did RJ, and today's today's the big one. We're gonna talk about Julius Randle. Um, a player that man, I I have so many, so many thoughts because we all know what happened in the playoffs. We all see the limitations, we all see the frustrations, we all see the inefficiencies, we all see the the, the, the fadeaway jumpers and, you know, the way too late jump passes in the lane. But he's also a player that if the Knicks win a title anytime soon and somebody makes the 30 for 30, the, the, the when the garden was eaten part two, and it's about this era of the Knicks, the very first thing that will be there was the day that they signed Julius Randle because for all of his faults, The What he did this regular season, what he did in the We Here season, brought this team back to relevancy in a lot of respects. And Tibbs is a big part of that. The year he was hired was the year everything turned around, but Julius was the face of that. And so talking about him is not always totally objective. And I'll I'll be the first one to say that. It's not always totally objective when it comes to Julius Randle. And he's a player that I have great affinity towards because of all that. But, you know, the playoffs were a big concern, culminating in his 3-for-14 game six in Miami. You know, whether or not the ankle played a major part in that, we have already talked about that a little bit. So we're going to take the ankle and put it off to the side for a minute and just look at what we saw. Because what we saw was a tremendous regular season player, an all-NBA season from a guy that's helped resurrect the franchise. And so in that respect, everything is all good. But on the other – and it's a team that got to the second round. They exceeded expectations. But just like, you know, you can can almost summarize this team and this season by talking about Julius (laughs) Randle. It was an unbelievable regular season. It was one that we'll never forget. It exceeded expectations, and yet it left you – so bitterly disappointed with how it ended. Um, He is is the player. He is the player that, in my opinion, so encapsulates this little four-year run that we've now been on with him of the Julius Randle Knicks. And so with that long-winded statement, I'll now kick it to Brandon.
1: Well, it's so funny because Julius Randle... It's a tale of many stories. You know, do do you and because it's a tale of many stories, I must say, it's a matter of what one do you believe is the real Julius Randle. It's like trying to figure out the true identity of someone and trying to understand what their true personality is. You could think that he's really the guy we saw in 2021 and 2023 the guy that if we look at some of the stats had some of his best numbers this season shot f- basically 46% from the field he basically if we if we that as as an adjusted shooting he had one of his best three point percentages this year and you look stat after stat after stat you look at you know, a true shooting percentage of almost 58 or almost 59%. You look at wind win share added or the estimated number of wins contributed by a player, the highest of his career at 8.1. You look at all these different stats. He was a positive win share player on the defensive side of the basketball. He was a very vital piece of what the Knicks did. Even on the defensive side, even when he wasn't getting the ball, it was the best version of Julius Randle that you could see. But there's another version of him. There's the version we saw in 2021. There's the version we saw in the playoffs. The guy whose three-point percentage almost dropped by half, by 50%, compared to what it was before. He went from basically a 44% shooter to like a 28% three-point shooter. We saw the ISO-Randall stuff pop up again. We saw the different lack of effort things where because Julius isn't rotating to his guy, the rest of the defense is slow to the rotations, and now Miami has open threes. And it's not to say Julius was all bad. The scoring was there at times. But when you needed him most, he didn't show up. So it really comes down to what version do you believe he truly is? The guy that has been, like you said, Jacob, an all-NBA type player, a guy that can lead the Knicks two wins in the regular season like it's going out of style. Or is he the guy that when the lights are shining the brightest, he isn't showing up or he's forcing it or he's causing issues because he's getting in his own head at times and becoming more of a thinker instead
0: of a player. Well, that's the part I want to touch on for a second is the Julius Randle is the mental piece of it with Julius because when everything is going good with him, when, when the good energy is flowing, the guy is unbelievable, but he has his frustrations. He has his yelling at Tibbs. He has his screaming at the refs. He has his yelling at teammates. He's got the thumbs down to the fans. We went through a full season a year ago where The Julius Randle frustration hit a boiling point and hit what many of us thought was a point of no return.
1: When does does ISO Randle show up? It's when he misses a few shots. He gets in his own head and he's not getting the fouls. He wants it's so connected. And we talked about this with RJ. It's even worse with Randle. Yeah. It's even worse that when he gets inside his own head, it's the, the
0: Knicks are done. They're screwed. But it's amazing to me how Julius's Julius's energy, like, you can tell. And by the way, the Knicks coming out and saying he's one of our leaders. He's, you know, he's he's one of our, you know, he's one of our guys. Yeah, no shit. Because you can tell from everybody, because everybody's energy changes around Julius Randall's energy. Well, the second Julius Randall gets super frustrated and you immediately see it in the game the Knicks' chances are done because the entire team feeds off of his energy, good and bad, maybe except for Brunson, because that guy's always awesome no matter what. But but other than Jalen Brunson, everybody feeds off that energy. The game where he's screaming at Emmanuel quickly. You know, the game where he's going off and, you know, he's throwing chairs, you know, walking out of the Barclays Center a year ago after a tough beat. He's an extremely emotional player. And that kind of stuff gets a lot of love when it's right and a lot of criticism when it's not. And that's as big a part of the mental side is as big a part of the Julius Randall story as anything. Although I want to make this point and I'm not sure whether or not you'll agree with it, but could I make the point that the 2021 series against Atlanta and this past series against Miami are not as connected as everybody thinks they are? Because Julius in the Miami in the Atlanta series was the Knicks' number one option. He was the guy that had to make everything work. And he the team around him was not as good on paper as this current team is. They had they had a nice regular season. Derek Rose played great down the stretch. RJ had his best year that we talked about. He had his best usage. He had his highest three-point percentage. They Alec Brooks was hitting threes. Reddy Bullock was hitting threes. Obi and quickly were exciting rookies. And that team Way over, you know, way exceeded any sort of uh, any sort of proclamation. And then in the playoffs, they got exposed because they didn't have as much talent. And Julius had to do everything on his own. This series, he was the second guy. He had to just play off of Brunson. He had to facilitate a little bit in, in some of Julius Randall's best games in this in this postseason, at least statistically. You know, he took between 12 and 17 shots. He wasn't taking 28 shots, you know. So I I think it's a different role. And with the different role comes different different realities for it. And so everyone's trying to make this connection that he's a terrible playoff player. And I agree, because on paper, that's the only evidence we have is that he's not a good playoff player. He hasn't done anything to prove anybody wrong. I just think it's a stretch to fully connect the Atlanta series to the Miami series because I think he was playing two completely different roles
1: you see I agree but I don't agree
0: at the same time because
1: okay, fair on the one hand right I agree because we we discussed this on one of the one of the first episodes I'm pretty sure those two teams those the expectations around those two teams completely different. The, the way the rosters are, were constructed, the guys that were mainly utilized by Thibodeau, completely different. You needed Randall in that in that Hawk series to be the star, and you know he shot under thirty percent from the field.
0: No, he was awful. He was yeah. awful. I'm not defending it. I, I'm not defending. I'm not defending the performance. What I'm saying is. Yeah, he was relied upon differently. Yes. There's a market difference between being the option and the number two option. And I think when everyone tries to lump it all together, I don't think that's fair. He failed as the number one option in the Atlanta series. And up to this point, he has failed as the number two option in the Miami series. But I don't, but I think you can look at them as two separate entities. I don't think that they're necessarily the same, you know, the answer to the same question. Well,
1: that, well, that's where it comes into play because that Atlanta series, they're relying on Evan Fournier. They're relying on Derek Rose. They're relying on a lot of older veterans. Well, they didn't,
0: they didn't have Evan Fournier yet in the Atlanta series. It
1: wasn't Fournier? I thought he was. No, oh, that, he was, signed, that was the next He signed off season. with Kemba yes.
0: that offseason. Yes, it so was, that's what they was, tried was to was add. Bull. It was Reggie Bullock and Alfred Payton and Alec Burks, and, was, and that's one.
1: That was the series where quickly we all wanted him to start, and they just. And they went
0: with Rose uh, after game, after halftime of game two, they yanked Alfred Payton and they went with Derrick Rose.
1: Yes. Yes. And then this year you have Brunson that you do have quickly. You have Obi. You have all these different guys getting minutes. But the way I would phrase it, and this I think truly, I wouldn't say boils it down, but I feel it gives the best perspective. It's different symptoms for the same problem. Different symptoms, completely different series. The expectations, how they lost, completely different. But it's the simpt- It's different symptoms for the same problem because we saw the same Julius Randle issues. We saw the same iso ball. We saw the same guy trying to do too much. And yes, while in the Atlanta series, he didn't have that second guy to go to. He had the guy to go to in this in the Heat series. Was he as healthy as he was in the Atlanta series? No, but he was out there, and we talked about this before. He was getting a very similar amount of minutes to what he normally got in the regular season and when he was at his best. So (laughs) him not giving this effort on defense, him not giving the same amount of care or effort on that side of the ball, him not hitting his shots. You know, you want to look at it, that twenty eight percent from from three point in the Miami series, how does the series look if he's hitting thirty five or thirty six percent? you know we talked about how RJ had an impact, but Randall was the go-to alongside Brunson the whole year. the Atlanta series, Randall or the Atlanta year, Randall was the go-to guy the whole year. two different symptoms, two different. Outcomes in the sense of what those seasons turned out to be. But at the end of the day, Randall didn't show up for either series. And I feel like that's an indictment on him, in a sense. He's not someone that has proved on a consistent basis that he can be the type of player he is in the playoffs. And I don't blame Knicks fans for holding that against him. There's obviously way more context that goes into it than just saying. Randall bad, Knicks not good. But it's not out of the question to blame Randall and to really say that he was a major factor because, with how tight the Knicks played Miami in a lot of these games, it's very feasible the Knicks have a shot to push at the game seven, if not win the series earlier, if Julius Randall is who he was. So I will say it's not the same. But it's very similar outcomes, and and that's got to be concerning. It definitely has to be a little bit concerned.
0: Yeah. So I, I've got some questions to follow up with that. First of all, like so, last time we talked about tips, and towards the end we were like, well, how much of this, you know, because you can't really blame them for being outcoached by Spolstra, but you know, on the pie chart, what percentage of the blame would you give to Tom Thibodeau? I think, and we we said about we were basically in agreement. I would say like twenty. 20%, 25%. What percentage of the pie chart would you give to Julius Randle?
1: I haven't thought out the whole <laughs> roster construction of what player specifically is this percentage. Well, but ballpark, it. ballpark, I I'd say probably like 20, 25. I feel like that's fair. I'm never going to put an entire series blame on one player. That's just not how that's not how I'm gonna work. That's not how I'm going to look at this. But Julius Randle didn't hit his shots. And when he was taking his shots, let's remember who was on him. Bam Adebayo. What did Julius Randle try doing a lot of the time to Bam? Drive on him and try to attack with his back to the basket instead of going downhill, which is his bread and butter. If we know anything about Bam Adebayo, that is not something he is very susceptible to giving up baskets with. Unless, of course, you're Nikola Jokic, which Nikola Jokic is legitimately, I think, the best player in the NBA.
0: Or well, that's, make where, it- well that's, that's where I wanted to go with this. So, like, it's, it's so weird. Like, I go back and forth on this because of how Miami has looked in the finals. But it was almost like, oh, my God, Miami made the finals. This Knicks loss isn't nearly as bad as I thought it was. Miami's a lot better than I think that they were, but now they're getting romped by Denver and I think Denver's tremendous by the way. I actually for me it doesn't change much because I think Denver is by was by far the best team in the league. I think they've proven it. I think they're the correct team to win the title like but for you does the fact that Miami is looking the way they are in the finals does that make you go revisit it and say like man, the Knicks really, you know, if Julius had played better, they, they could have done some damage because Boston wasn't what everybody thought that they were. They clearly have some other issues. And Miami, we were right about, are, do you think that we were right about Miami that they weren't as talented? And so you feel, you know, not as good about the Knicks loss or are you like that team made the finals? I feel a lot better about, about Julius's performance because the Miami defense carried them to, to the finals.
1: I still don't feel good about it because if the Knicks hit their shot, we, we talked about this. If the Knicks hit their shots, and the Knicks play their brand of basketball, I think they win the series. I think the Knicks in a lot of ways beat themselves because they shot abysmally and they defended just fine. They probably played some of the best defense Miami has seen this entire postseason, but they shot terribly. And Julius Randle was a main culprit of that. He was a guy that, Quite frankly, didn't hit his shots. You you look at the stats we've brought up, he didn't hit his shots. And the type of shots he was taking were not these like high percentage, you know, good looks. Like if you're going at Bam Adebayo, bio, get him moving side to side. Don't basically allow him to set his feet and just swat your your shots. And that was happening too much. You add the RJ Parrot misses from deep. You add Emmanuel Quickley before his injury, not being able to hit shots, Obi top and not be able to hit consistent shots, and having to rely on Jalen Brunson to be all of your scoring, this is the result that happened. Obviously, you're going to feel better about your loss being that, hey, Miami is the Eastern Conference representative in the final, but just looking at it in a vacuum, I still wasn't thrilled that they lost the series.
0: Yeah, and like just for just for reference here I mean Julius in the second round against Miami this year he doesn't play game 1 he doesn't play game 1 then he's a plus 14 in game 2 with you know which was probably his best game that he's probably ever played in the playoffs it was game 2 of the Miami series when he had 25 points and he was a plus 14 and he helped them barely where, I mean he was plus 14 in a six point win uh and then games 3 and 4 we've talked about in Miami has been A critical talking point for us because that was the red flag of red flags, and then he comes back and he's actually pretty good in Game Five because he hit some threes. He went four of seven from three, and that got him going a little bit. And he was even on the he was even in the box score plus minus, but yeah, I thought he played a pretty good game in Game Five to get him to Miami. And then Game Six is you know for a lot of Nick fans who were ripping down his poster and drawing on it was the ultimate nail in the coffin. Was you know the the critical numbers three for fourteen in game six, so it's a lot. I mean, listen, this is a player that I don't think will ever have the definitive, you know, oh my god, or he's terrible. I, like, so I'll I'm going to give you one last question, and then and then we're going to wrap this up. Hypothetical, next year the Knicks again win close to fifty games. They're in the playoffs. It's game one of the first series. You're getting ready to watch. What is your expectation of what Julius Randle is about to perform? If he had the regular season, we're just gonna say, set the table. He had the regular season he just had, and it's a year from now. Like if a playoff game was tonight or or you know, next year at this time and everything was the same, what is your confidence level in Julius Randle?
1: You see, you asked two different questions because my expectation is he's going to play to the level that he showed the entire regular season to that point because that that's the that's the sample size we have. My confidence level isn't high because I've seen two straight postseasons where Julius Randle has basically gone ghost, where he hasn't been himself in the playoffs because that's, that's the difference here. You're basing it on either the narrative or the production and both have their merits. The narrative is Julius Randle can't play in the postseason. You have that narrative surrounding a guy like James Harden as well. Guys that for some reason when comes crunch time, when it's time to play in the most high octane games of the season, they just don't show up. <laughs> On the other hand, you're basically the other part, you're basing off his production. If he has an all-NBA type season again, you have to expect him to do well because he would have been just like this past season. A huge part of the Knicks are reaching that point. So that's what it comes down to for me. I wouldn't be confident, but my expectation is you got to get the job done, point blank, period.
0: Who would you rather have in a critical, you know, got to have a game seven, Julius Randle or James Harden?
1: Are we factoring in the rest of the roster or just
0: flyer on play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll say if you could swap Randle for Harden on this Knicks team, for game six in Miami, would you have done it? No. Knowing what you know about James Harden's playoff history. No, because
1: I feel like a productive Randall is more important in that type of game than a productive Harden. You have the guard scoring. Just having another Paul Dominic guard, that limit, that limits Brunson's effectiveness. And having another guy well, that... Brunson, Brunson's good at defense for his size, but having another guy that isn't known for his defense next to Brunson... That's, no, gonna that's, cause, true. that's gonna no, cause no, no, all that's gonna cause
0: issues. They they would have some roster construction <laughs> problems for sure. That's a good that's a good point. Um on that note though, we are gonna wrap this up again. Uh big shout out tomorrow, Charles Oakley, Twitter space, six o'clock. Be there, ask a question, come interact with us. It's gonna be awesome. Uh we'll probably see you guys again, twice again next week, I imagine, sometime in the middle of the week. And, again, next weekend, if anything happens, you know, not that I think anything will in the next seven days, but if anything does, we'll be here talk about it. Go for it.
1: Well, before we go, um, by the time you're listening to this, depending on when it comes out, the NBA Finals could be having its last game. And I'll be honest with you, free agency and trades are probably going to pick up
0: very quickly. So, Well, we got our first one. We got our first draft picks one between Denver – And OKC, which someone's going to have to explain that one to me. I mean, I'm sure there's a million like OKC couldn't use this pick, this pick or, you know, whatever else. But like I I saw that I was like, what? But I'm sure there's rational explanation.
1: The the parting word I want to give for today's show is what is the first move outside of the trade we just mentioned? What's the first move that happens in the NBA offseason?
0: In the NBA offseason, or for the Knicks?
1: NBA offseason, just in general.
0: I think James Harden goes to the Houston Rockets. I think he signed. I think he signs a max deal to go to to go back to Houston. I think that happens. Literally, like if the you know free agency starts at four, that's happening at four hundred one. Woj tweeted it by noon. I, I think that that is done. I, I I have no sources. Don't quote me on it, but I think that that is done.
1: I'm going to go with a low-risk, high-reward one. I think Chris Paul signs with the Golden State Warriors.
0: Whoa! Wow. That that would be something. That would be something. And if you're right, we'll come back here and we'll give you all the props in the world. All right, guys. That's going to do it for us. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed. and we will catch you guys next time.